All right, well, my name's Tyler Hardy, and uh, we are finishing up a series called Rooted Today. And um, we've been doing this series for the last, uh, really, six weeks, and you've gotten to hear from, from, from some different folks. But, you know, our heart today as we wrap it up is to talk about the family. All right, we're going to talk about the family. But before we talk about the family, I want you to know that just as Connor and Kelsey are being sent out, they actually got a heart for the nation somewhere along the way. And we have said, you know what, we want to provide that opportunity for a whole church to experience something. And so this next Saturday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., okay, if you will go online and register, we just decided this last week, we're just going to make it free for everybody because we just want you to go, okay? So it's 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. this Saturday in this building. We've got three sessions, a morning, early afternoon, and a late afternoon session. There's going to be powerful worship. We've got communicators coming in that are all part of the Antioch movement. These guys have lived overseas. They have done church planting in very difficult places, and they still love Jesus. Their families are thriving, and actually they are all back here in the U.S. now, and they're still on mission. And so what I want you to hear me say is that as a people, we have these three core values to love God, love each other, and to live on mission, and that's not just overseas or on a trip. That is actually to live on mission every day, right? And so our job and really our goal of this conference is to equip you to know how to live missionally, whether you're here in Bryan College Station or overseas. And so we're gonna be unpacking different opportunities that we are starting and that that are actually happening here in our city so that we can be a missional people. We'd love for you to come again, just go online and register. Also, Kent, some of our missions team will be outside in the foyer underneath a big globe map thing. And you can connect with them if you got more questions about the conference. But we'd love for you to be there on Saturday. All right. Well, the thing about families is that um, they give us the most joy and the most pain, right? I mean, think about your family. Just take five seconds. Yeah, that's actually true. Um, uh, We are exposed and protected by our family. And yet, I would say that at this current hour and state in our country, um, the family is at a crisis point. We're at a crisis point in our family. Tom Rainier, who does lots of different research. He had done a study a couple of years ago, um, and he was trying to identify generationally what percentage of the population would be known as born-again Christians, meaning that they would say, I've received Christ for my salvation, and they could actually articulate the gospel, meaning Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, forgiveness of our sins, that they could actually say, yes, I'm a Christian, and by the way, I actually know what the gospel is, okay? The data shows this. <clears throat> Um, Again, comparing generations, Um, people born before 1946, 65% of them said they were born again. 35% of the people born between 1946 and 1964. Only 15% of people born between 1965 and 1976. And 4% of people born between 1976 and 1994. Do you see the gap? In a span of 35 years, 65% to 4%, what happened? There is a generational gap, and I would say we are on the decline. And by the way, I'm an 82 baby, so I fit in that 4% category. That is my peers. That is my generation. And this crisis, I would say, of declining faith is not going to be fixed by the government. It's not going to be fixed by the right school or education. It's not even going to be fixed by the church. You didn't think I was going to say that. It's not going to be fixed by the church. It's actually um, this root cause, this problem is going to be fixed by the family. 
because that's where it goes back to. You know, in 1780 in England was actually the first time, the first time that Sunday schools emerged, right? And so in England in 1780, some, some, some men saw that there were some orphan children, didn't really have families, and they didn't have the opportunity for education. And so they actually opened up their textile mills on the weekend so that then they could actually educate these children in reading and writing and in the Bible. These Sunday schools emerged, okay? But the interesting thing is that as this happened, and then it went across denominations across Europe and into North America to where in 1790, we started having our first Sunday schools. That's when they first emerged within the church. So what ended up happening is this transition happened from the home to the church realm of actually taking care of spirituality. One person put it this way, for 1,800 years of Christianity, we were home-centered and church-supported. And now we are church-centered and home-supported. You know, some studies done by this um, organization called Campus Renewal. Their whole thing is about we're trying to revitalize college campuses, bring faith to campuses, what's happened. They did a study a few years ago. Here's what they found. Um, People who were following Christ as they entered into college, by the end of their freshman year across the country, 60 to 80% of those people walked away from the faith. 60 to 80% of people who grew up and maybe for an 18-year stretch, let's say, were in a family or an environment or a church realm and accepted Christ at some point along the way in their youth and somehow only took nine months to unravel that. How is that happening? How do you have faith and you just walk away within nine months? You see, for decades, there's been an unraveling of our faith and it's happening in the children and the youth. So how do we become rooted again? Like, how do we actually turn back the tide of what is happening? Now, I know in this room that some of you are parents and a lot of you are not parents yet, but I want you to listen up. In college, most people think about who they're going to marry. They don't really think about who the children are they're going to have. And my guess is that 98% of this room, you are going to get married and you are going to have children. And so today is one of those days you probably want to take notes because you're going to look back in five or 10 years and say, Oh, shoot. I should have actually thought about that, okay? So if you're a college student, I need you to tune in. Parents, you're already tuned in. I know you're already tuned in. I don't have to help you nudge along because you realize the crisis point we are in. Look at your families. Look at the people you go to school with. Look at your coworkers. There is a crisis happening with children. And so it actually starts earlier on than before you become parents. So if you're already a parent, we're kind of late to the game. So it actually starts before you become a parent. You actually set up a lifestyle and mentality so that you are ready. All right? So here we go. Um, we're going to go back to the very beginning of Scripture and actually to the very first thing God ever said to a human. Genesis 1:28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Did you catch that? The very first words that the creator God said to Adam and Eve, the very first humans was what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's great plan that began the garden and continues today. He is filling the earth with his people. You see, God created marriage. God created the family. That is actually part of his plan. And you know, as we go forward today, I want you to know that God's plan to redeem the family 
It also includes that we're going to redeem broken marriages and we are going to redeem destructive home lives that are at an all-time high. And then we're actually gonna redeem something I like to call passive parenting. Passive parenting. Some of you in this room, I would beg to probably say a lot of you in this room are actually products of passive parenting. We'll get into that in just a minute, but that's how God's gonna do it to the family. Now let's continue. Genesis 1, here's the command. We know what happens to Adam and Eve. Things go south. All of a sudden, mankind begins populating, filling the earth. But then we get to Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What an indictment. On the human race, everyone, not just their actions, but actually their thoughts. So then God sent a great flood that covered the earth and killed every living creature and every person. And so then he started over, not just with a person, with a family. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives stepped off the boat, by the way. And then when they stepped off the boat, God said this to them, Genesis 9:1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Huh, we've heard that before. God started, things went south, right? Things went south again. God restarts. He wipes the face of the planet off. And then he says, I'm gonna start over again. I'm gonna tell you what I told you the first time. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in Genesis 9, verse 8, 9, he then says this again to them. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, not just Noah, Noah and the next generation, Noah and his sons. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Whoa, Noah, I establish, Noah and your sons, I establish my covenant with y'all and with your offspring, with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. There is a covenant here that God is wanting to make with them. Do you see the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth cannot happen outside the context of marriage? Do you see why it's so critical that we get the biblical perspective and biblical mandate of marriage and we get that clear? Because you cannot actually fulfill God's plan unless you align yourselves with that. Marriage between one man and one woman, and that is a necessary step. And there's no other God-sanctioned, God-ordained way to go about it. And that's why it's so vital we are clear on marriage and we are clear on the family. Now, there was 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and then from Noah to Abraham, another 10 generations. And so God's plan didn't cease. It actually continued. Genesis chapter 18, 18 through 19. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Let me just pause there. God is saying not just Abraham will be blessed, but all the nations, all the people groups, all the other people will actually be blessed as well. For I have chosen him, verse 19, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. How is the Lord gonna bring to Abraham what he's promised? That he commands his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. You see, the missional plan, the redemption plan of God is to pull people into the kingdom family, it actually includes the generations. It's not just about one person getting their life transformed to God. That's actually not the picture. 
The picture is that the family, that the generations that gets passed on, it's a multi-generational redemption plan. Now, later, God raises up Moses, and he speaks to him at Mount Sinai, and he gives him what we know as the Ten Commandments. Now, if I quizzed you right now to recite them, a lot of you would fail. Let's just be honest. But I'm going to help you out. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six mostly have to do with our relationship with each other. Okay? So if you think about it this way, the first commandment that has to do with our relationship to each other is the fifth commandment. And what does that one say? Exodus 12, 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Now, did you notice the fifth commandment comes before the other ones, like do not murder? Wouldn't it have been better to be like, do not murder? Let's get, take care of that first. Let's make sure we all live. And then we'll get to the rest of it. No. Have you ever thought about that? Why, did, why was that not the first one in human-human interaction? I would argue it's because whether you, are a child, whether you are a child by age or you're a child by faith, it's the first one you have to go through. Um, if you don't have children, I'm going to help you out. And if you do, you know what I'm talking about. At some age, they move away from just always being smiled and just tickled that you're just around and happy to do, just be there, to, I think I have options. Okay? Eight months old, no options. Year and a half, two years, I have options. Oh, obey, not obey. Glare, not glare. Smile with the pictures when it's time for family pictures for the fall or not. Right? I mean, kids start, I can, I can play this game, right? God knew that all human beings being born into the earth actually have to face this test first. If they do not pass the test of honoring their mother and their father, guess what? The rest of it, just forget about it. He knows that. And by the way, Paul actually says in the New Testament, this is the first commandment with a promise. Whoa. God keeps his promises, by the way. So let's read it again. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. If you want to know how well you're doing spiritually, ask how well am I honoring my mother and my father? See, here, here, here's the promise. If moms and dads will follow God, and if the children will receive the faith that is being passed on to them, then the people of God will live long in the land. You want to live long in the land? Honor your mom and dad. I don't know. It's pretty black and white. There's not a whole lot to read in there. Honor them. You'll live long in the land. And when the people of Israel did not do that, when there was not an honoring, it didn't go well for them. Now, I want to I put these two pieces together. Not only is God's original intent for the family to be this multi-generational plan, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and it's through the family, not just through an individual. But also, it's actually part of God's great mission. It literally ties in with the mission of God. You see, the greatest commandment given to us in Scripture is followed by a clear path for getting that commandment into the hearts of the people. So what is it? It's Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus says this again in Mark 12 and other passages in the Gospels. But he literally is quoting back to Deuteronomy 6.5. This is the greatest commandment. So how do we get that imparted into us? I mean, how do we put this into practice, right? Well, it's easy because the next verses, it tells us. And these words that I command you today, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let me sum it up. Your mission begins with your kids. Did you know that? It actually starts with your children. For parents, let me help you out. Those are your most important disciples. They are. Everybody else is great. But if you don't prioritize them, then what are you offering everybody else? You see, if we're honest, there's a real temptation for all of us, including me, which is to prioritize spiritual opportunities over spiritual responsibility. Last I checked, there's three covenants a man will make. One, with Jesus Christ, so for the salvation of my sins, I make a covenant with God. Number two, I make a covenant with my wife, Ashley. To be married to one woman for the rest of my life through thick and thin, I made a covenant with hers. Not because we just feel great all the time. I made a covenant, which is a binding covenant between me, her, and the Father. And the third covenant is actually with your children, the ones you birth, the ones you raise. You are intrinsically now, you're inviting them into a covenant relationship with your children. That's how I see it in scripture. I see that throughout scripture. Your friends are your friends. I'm not making covenants with my buddies. I'm making a covenant with the father, my wife, and my children. I will make commitments. I will be loyal. I will love my friends. But it is not the same. You know, sometimes we will choose these spiritual opportunities. It could be someone in a life group calls you up. Hey, man, I really need some help. When you go the first time, help them out, kind of ditch what you were doing with the family, get something committed to them. Okay, and then the next time that happens, and then it happens again, and all of a sudden, once you look up, you're saying three or four or five times in a row, you promised to play catch with your son. You promised to coach their team. You promised to do a family dinner. You promised to do a big kind of camp out. You made these promises. You didn't labor because, hey, daddy's got spiritual opportunities here, but I will neglect my spiritual responsibility. And over time, wow, daddy doesn't really like me. He must care more about his church friends or his Christian buddies or his friends at work than me. Then where do I fit? And then they grow up thinking, well, dad's around, didn't have a lot of authority in my life because he passes me off to everybody else because he's too busy helping out with other people. And we chalked it up as really spiritual. The most spiritual people have amazing homes. You want to follow somebody in life? You want to look for a leader in life? Say, can I come over to your house for dinner? And after an hour and a half, you'll know if you want to follow them. A lot of pressure. Bring it on. Bring on the pressure. We, are, we should not be impressed by the public facade. Do not be easily impressed by people. What they write, what they say, what they preach, what they sing, what they do, how good their business is. Don't be impressed by that. It's actually not that hard to be successful in the business world. You just got to be diligent, commit, and work harder than the next guy. It's not that hard to be, a lot of you guys are actually gifted intellectually, academically. You can take tests without studying. You don't have to raise your hands and confess, but I know there's a lot of you. I studied my rear off, and I still was a B-minus student, and I was celebrating. I could not just wake up and take a test, okay? And so that's how it plays out in life. You can't just wake up one day and just hope you can just pull it off. There is a lot of input that has to happen. You have to be diligent to actually input the things of God into your life. So you actually have something to teach. So what can we do? Um, 
You know, in Deuteronomy 6, it says we're supposed to teach our children. So how does that really work? Oh, it says this, you know, when you sit at home, when you walk, or in our context, drive somewhere, when you put them to bed, and when you wake up in the morning, I'll, I'll help you out. You can make a shirt. Eating, going, sleeping, waking. That's pretty much your entire day. Right? Eating, right? You do that three times a day, usually going, wherever you're on the go, errands, doing stuff, sleeping, waking up. And you know what's interesting is that um, my children they tend to want to open up and talk late at night, which is exactly the time I'm trying to tiptoe out the door and put them to bed. If you're a parent in the room, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all feel that. It's been a long day, 8.39, You're thinking, okay, we've read, we've done. Let's just go to bed now. As you tiptoe out the door, here's what happens. Daddy? Yes? Maybe she just wants water. Uh, can I tell you something? Oh, this is really not convenient, darling. Um, but it's necessary. You want to get to your children's hearts? It's not on your schedule. It's not on your timing. Let me tell you, I got convicted with a ton of bricks this week on this. I'm a busy person. I like being full. At the end of the day, I want to crash. And the Lord said to me, Tyler, when you want to crash is when their hearts are going to open up. You want to crash? You go ahead and crash. You won't win their hearts. But when they say, Daddy, will you come and snuggle with me for 15, 20 minutes and just listen to them? You know, I got in bed with Evelyn last night, just lay there, snuggle with her for a few minutes. And I just said, what do you want to talk about, baby? She just talked about her week. I don't remember everything she said. I got to be honest. <laughs> and you know why that is? I'm listening, but I'm just staring at her thinking, this is how I'm getting her heart. Because guys, when you win their heart, you have influence to speak into their lives. I want her to know that daddy's a safe place just to talk to. That he's there just to listen. And you know, I think that a lot of times God doesn't allow it to be so set up where it's on our schedule, our timing, because he doesn't want us to be mechanical about it. He wants it to be relational. And to get a hold of someone's heart, any heart is not necessarily on your planner. Time to win their hearts over today. It just happens. And you've got to be willing to respond, especially when it's inconvenient. You know, the morning is a huge opportunity um, for a lot of parents that I think we miss. Uh, this summer, we had a, a much better routine than we do right now, if I'm honest. And um, I'm so thankful for my wife because she's pushed us to really try to make this a priority in the mornings. And then you get into school and stuff and life gets busy and you realize, wait a second, we aren't doing what we did in the summer. You know, the, the hope is that we could just take 10 minutes in the morning with my kids. We turn on a worship song, we worship Jesus, we run around, we're worshiping him. And then we each pray for somebody. And in fact, they like to pray for the same people over and over. And so there's some people that got prayed up this summer. You probably, you probably had a great summer, honestly. Um, I mean, if you're on the short list in my kids' minds, like they just prayed for you over and over and over and over, you know? Say amen. So you had a great summer, whoever you are. But, um, but you know, we try to worship, try to pray, and then just maybe read something from the Bible, maybe just share a Bible story, you know, because you got to act it out sometimes for them. And, and when we do that, I'm telling you, my kids had a better day. So listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm telling you, I had this so much conviction of like, wow, it, even, even if you just had such a low bar of like, I just want my kids to be obedient, it's worth actually spending time with the Lord in the morning with them. Because actually they were way better. Their attitudes. And it's like, oh, duh, that's us. It's like when we get in the word, we come clean and confess the stuff we're messing with. When we worship and we put him first in the morning, our days are a lot better. 
When we don't just try to eke through our days, the the reality is the time it takes to press into God is way beneficial because it's gonna make you way more fruitful, way more joyful, way more productive, way more whole the rest of the day than just trying to skip that time because I got stuff to do. And listen, I'm as guilty as anybody else. There's always things going on in my head to do. And I'm like, no, the Lord's telling me, Tyler, slow it down. Take the time to invest in your children, especially when it's not planned. Now let's continue on as we talk about these generations. So the next generation after Moses is Joshua's generation. He took up the leadership and brought them into the promised land. Now, this is what it says of Joshua's generation in Judges 2, 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So we're going to pause here. This is a generation, just to give you a little history. Um, you're about to see the next generation. So Joshua's, they inherited the promised land. They, they, they took out the enemies. They established their home. Okay, but their parents, they were actually grumbling in the wilderness. The ones who had gotten out of slavery from Egypt, even at some point said, we want to go back to slavery because of how tough it is. They literally experienced every miracle you can imagine. Everything from pillar of fire, cloud in the sky, to manna dropping from heaven. They just, they were provided for in every way. But they grumbled and said, the Lord said, hey, Moses, your generation won't enter the promised land, but Joshua's will. Back up. So Joshua's grandparents, they actually lived and died their entire lives in slavery in Egypt. Okay? So now let's look at the next generation. Verse 10 through 12. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. Talking about Joshua's. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work of the Lord he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Now, how did they not know the Lord, the work he had done? Their parents is the Joshua generation who just came in and established everything in the promised land, the very place I've been waiting for for years. How did they miss it? What happened? Well, we don't know exactly, but here's what, I would, here's what I would suggest. Could it be that the families sacrificed so much on the mission, they made it, they settled up, and they started making their farms, building their houses, setting up different things and programs in the community because now we're established. And next thing you know, mom and dad get real busy because now we got a town to run and stuff happening. And they had hoped that their kids just would have rubbed off on them, right? They just would have hoped that like the faith, they just would have gotten it by just kind of being around, showing up to the temple, showing up to this meeting, to that thing, kind of tagging along, just kind of seeing mom and dad do stuff, but mom and dad not really taking the time to explain why they do what they do. Can anyone in this crowd amen the fact that you may have been raised in a family where you're part of all the stuff, but there's no deep explanation for why? And so you came to college and you're like, I'm so confused. This is how I've lived. I'm not even sure I know why I live that way. And so then in six months, you all of a sudden feel like your faith is crumbling because you actually never had it in you. You were tricked. You were duped to think you actually were following Christ fully when in fact you were just literally linked onto the coattails of your, of your parents and you hoped that it just rubbed off and it didn't. 
That's how one generation goes from they served the Lord, they honored him and all of his works to they have no idea what God did. They have no idea who he is. Not only that, they actually turned the other way and provoked the Lord to anger because they worshiped false idols. It wasn't like we're going to be apathetic. It's like we're actually going to about face and pursue. I can't even get into you what the bales are. But let's just say it is gruesome and grotesque if you actually knew what kind of idol cult worship was actually existing. And if you were the Lord, you'd be provoked to anger also. But a generation missed it. Psalm 78, 5 through 7, and he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So let me translate that for you. It's this. The teachings, the commands, the kingdom of God is to be passed on from one generation to another. Not hopefully passed on, but to be intentionally passed on. There must be a spiritual intentionality. As I said earlier, there is a, there is a passive parenting that exists in our country and exists in our churches, and it is, it is everywhere. It is, oh, I hope the church will take care of that for me in one hour once a week. Right? It is, oh, I hope that that friend actually shares something. Or if I'm at the school, whatever. No, no, no. It is on the parents. It's been on the parents since day one. It's still honest. That is not removed. God's plan A for generational, generational transformation and his plan being happening is still through the family. But you know, one of the difficulties in relationships from one generation to the next, is that there seems to be a time when the heart connection between a parent and child is really challenged. A time where I would say that heart connection is under attack. Now, many would call it adolescence, and there are some things to back that up. I would also say there's a spiritual attack that the enemy comes, because the devil's pretty smart, you know. He's been around since, since the beginning. Remember, he was cast out, one of the angels. Satan's plan has been to divide and rebel against God the Father this entire time. And so Satan has actually been doing this for a long time. What he does is he goes after the husband and wife, and he creates a wedge of division, bitterness, insecurity, whatever else, and then he works on the kids. And when the kids start figuring out who they are and start asking questions in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, all of a sudden what happens in our modern day is this. Mom's driving home with daughter. Hey, how was your day? Good. How, well, what about this? I don't want to talk about it. Hmm. Well, I don't want to be a pushy mom. I want to be a cool mom. And so, okay, I'm just going to give her some space. And we know how well that's working. Right? Like giving kids space, that's a great idea. Because that's totally in the Bible. Give them space. Let them figure it out on their own. That is destroying the family. Giving them space, that is not biblical. It says, teach them diligently when they're eating, three times a day. When they're going, everywhere. When they're sleeping, every night. And when they're waking, every morning. It's actually 24-7. It doesn't mean you don't give them breathing room, but it's only after you've actually diligently taught them. My parents raised me to make it at 18. I wasn't perfect, but they were diligent. They were diligent to raise me so that when I went to college, they weren't freaking out that I was going to walk away from Christ. They were confident I would stay with Jesus. Did I mature and grow? Absolutely. But my foundation was never in question. I never questioned my faith, not once in college, and not even for a moment. Now, I had to mature and grow up in different ways, but the foundation was set. 
That's a parent's job. Lay that foundation so that then they can build it with the father in their adulthood. Do not give them sand to build on. Give them something that is solid. So this heart connection is under attack, right? And listen, I thought that having little kids is the most difficult season of parenting. And so I talk to people who have older kids. <laughs> I just discouraged some of you. You're like, wait, we're almost through the hardest part? No, you're at the beginning. Um, here's what most people would say. You actually have 10 to 18-year-olds. They say it's a lot more work. It's not more physical work. It's more heart, emotional, mental work. Because actually to win the heart of a 10 to 18-year-old is very difficult. But it's totally doable. If you will press in and if you'll be diligent to make that heart connection with them. Listen, my mom knew this. I don't know how. She didn't hear me preach this at the time because, you know, I was little. But <laughs> somehow she knew this. So here, here, here's my mom, Debbie Hardy. My mom's an introvert, by the way. She's not a big talker. And I was too growing up. But my mom knew there was one time a day I would actually open up. I know, it's at night again. <laughs> so I would do my homework, shower everything, get ready. And I would come down because I sneak down for a snack. And so I'd come out of the kitchen. And my mom knew after a while, she timed it when she knew I would come down to the kitchen. And she would hand wash it. We had a dishwasher. She hand washed. So that she could look like she's being busy. While I then kind of lay down and say, well, mom, let me tell you this. And I just kept talking because I thought she was still doing stuff. My mom told me a few years ago, she would wash dishes two and three times over. Because she knew this was her one chance a day to get my heart. You have to do things that are inconvenient. My mom's value was not the dishes. It was getting her introverted son's heart that usually stuffed things and never opened up. But around 9.30 or 10, he came clean. And she timed, she scheduled her life around that moment. I'm telling you guys right now, whether you're a parent or a student, you better get into your head real quick that God's plan A is for you as the mother and father to raise your children. Not the church, not anybody else. Your grandparents certainly are there to contribute. You see that well without scriptures. And that's a big myth we have in America, isn't it? You go to the countries, the grandparents are actually valued. They're in the home. You go to our country, we kick them out. Go to South America. When you go to eat a meal with a family, there's three or four generations at that meal. In America, we're way too busy for their input. So we put them somewhere. It's an indictment on our culture. This is why we have a crisis. Because we, ne <coughs> we neglect to listen and to hear from the older generation. Because we think we'll figure it out by reading all of our peers' insights. It's like, it's like, it's crazy. It's like we, we actually go to other people who are not married for dating advice. I'm sorry, like, don't come to me for advice on your 16-year-old. I'll give you, I'll give you scriptures. I can't give you experience. We need the experience of generations above us. Do not discredit them because they're older or they're not with it. They don't need to be with it. They have wisdom and insight that if we will tap into it and humble ourselves and learn from them, you will be so blessed. But we as a people have neglected that. 
As I wrap it up, I want to share this last scripture. You know, we started with Genesis 1. It's the first book of the Old Testament. We're going to end with Malachi 4, the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, the very last verses. Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So here's the problem. It's not that we don't have parenting tips or books. There are blogs, podcasts galore. They're all out there. All of you can go learn about parenting today and be like parenting experts theologically and mentally. The problem is that we need our hearts to change. Because in Malachi 4, after years and years of Israel doing this and the brokenness, the generations missing it, some getting it, everyone in between. He's saying, hey, don't be hopeless. And I'm saying to you, don't be hopeless. Don't leave this place discouraged because the Lord is saying, will turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children. The children will turn their hearts to their fathers. It's never too late. That's what I'm going to tell you, everyone in the room. We started off with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. In this room, I'm willing to guess there's a lot of people that don't have a great relationship with their mom and dad. You cannot control your mom and dad. You can't control your response to them. I just prayed for a guy earlier. He said, hey, pray for him going home for Thanksgiving. It's pretty rough back at home. I said, you know what? It may be rough, but you can bless and you can speak life. They may not bless you back, and that's hard. But you have a choice to bless them. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies only if they're willing to love you back. He said, love your enemies. It didn't say, honor mom and dad only if they're perfect parents. Honor mom and dad. There's ways to do that at a distance even. I talked to someone earlier. I said, hey, how do you honor me? He said, I never see them. I said, pray for them. Like, write down one day a week is that day that you intercede and you pray for your parents and you pray blessing and you speak life and you ask for the spirit of the living God to come and reach into their lives and change their hearts. Pray for them, intercede for them. You don't see them but once a year, pray for them the rest of the year. And then come expectantly when you do see them to say, hey, I've been praying. Anything change? Nothing happens, you keep praying. Something happens, okay, we're on to something. Right, there's a way to bless and honor. It's never too late. I wanna invite the band up and let's go and stand as we close today. And if you're on the prayer team, if you make your way up here, please, it'd be great. You know, there's a real brokenness in many of our families. There's divorce. There's sibling rivalries. <laughs> you may have been raised in a single-parent home. I don't know. But when you talk about family, like I said earlier, it's, there's a lot of joy and a lot of pain family but you know God always has a solution for our problems and this solution is that he sent Jesus to come and redeem us so that our hearts could be changed you can't go back in time and change how you were raised and you've already raised your kids you can't go back in time and change it either but you can turn your hearts if the very last verse of the Old Testament is saying and one day the father's hearts will be turned and the children's hearts will be turned then guess what that means we have hope through all the ups and downs, God saw it all and yet said, hey, but guess what? I haven't given up on you. If we believe that it is too late, then we believe in a half-baked gospel that says it's only, there's only partial things that God can do, not everything. So here's what I want us to close. I know in a room this size, some of you have experienced a lot of pain in family and there's a lot of brokenness. You know, just this week as I was going through this message, I was asking God, I just said, Lord, where have I missed it? 
with my sons, particularly. They're nine and almost seven years old. And I just started feeling some conviction of just rightful conviction. And just started saying, Lord, is it too late? Did I, did I mess something up with Ethan or with Graham? Did I, did, I, did I miss the opportunities? And folks, the Lord said, no, it's not too late. But step into what I've asked you to do. Don't sit there and whine about it. Acknowledge you screwed up and then say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change that. Can I just tell you all of human history is about us actually, we make mistakes, we turn back to God, he forgives us and he cleans us and gives us power and says, let's go forward. That's what God wants to do today. All of you have messed up, just so you know. You've dishonored mom and dad. You've been a rebellious son or daughter at some point. You threw a fit, whatever's happened. As parents, you've made mistakes. You've been angry. You've been frustrated. But God says, I will send my son so that I can wipe you clean and start fresh. So that's what today is. So if you need prayer, I want you to come up and be bold. Specifically, if you are a parent and you're saying, man, my children have gone away. They have been rebellious. It's been hard. And you want your prodigal sons and daughters to come home. Then we want to pray with you. And I want to ask that our prayer team, you pray with absolute faith. You pray with faith and you believe that there is victory to be had today. And for others in this room, you may have dishonored your mom and dad your whole life because they weren't nice to you because it wasn't worked out and you've got to make that right. You can pray with someone, come up here and kneel down and say, God, I want my heart to be opened up and made right because there's a promise with that. And just lastly, I want to speak to everyone in the room who feels inadequate. Some of us don't invest in people spiritually because we feel inadequate. We don't feel mature. The Bible never said you had to be a pastor to actually instruct people. The, 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 the Bible never said you had to be this really mature parent to actually teach someone. But if you have Jesus, that's enough. Like if you believe in Christ, that's enough to start giving away to people. And to all the students in the room, you can give it away to peers. You have spiritual sons and daughters that may even be your same age right now, but you've invested in them. This is where you start the parenting process. You invest in your spiritual sons and daughters. You're a sophomore and you're investing in a freshman. Treat that person as someone, I'm investing in them. I'm a father to them. I believe in him. Yeah, we're like bros, but I also wanna believe in you like a daddy, which means when you come clean, I'm like, man, I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm ready to run with you. Be mothers and fathers in the Lord to even your peers, not just one day when you have children, because by then it's too late just to get started. Start now. I wish someone would have told me to do this in college to not just think about marriage, but actually think about family. So we're gonna pray and just come up as you would. Anything else in your heart, come up and get prayer for these guys. Lord Jesus, we ask just for your grace to come. We need your power and we need to change a heart. We don't wanna be like another generation. We don't wanna be a statistic that's going downward. We wanna reverse what's been happening. We wanna reverse, we wanna, we wanna break off that brokenness cycle of family and our own families. And Lord, we ask that you would speak fresh life, that you would heal us, you would cleanse us, you would meet us in those broken places that have just been hard. We feel like we've messed up or missed it, Lord. You would come and meet us in a sweet place. We pray in Jesus' name.